Welcome to the show. On today's episode, we have Susan Salinger. Susan is an author and researcher who wrote Sidelines, How Women Manage and Mismanage Their Health. Today, we'll be talking about gender biases of the medical community, why women are misdiagnosed more than men, and why they may delay visiting their doctor or neglect to ask the doctor necessary questions about their own health, sometimes ending up in inaccurate treatments or unnecessary procedures. This is an important episode, so please send it to all the women you know. Please enjoy. Welcome to the Katka TV Podcast, your source for all things health, happiness, and beauty. Hi, Susan. Thank you so much for being with us here today. Oh, you're so welcome. Thank you for having me. So before we get into your journey and your book, first tell us a little bit about what inspired you to write a book to advocate for women and their health. Well, actually, it was a series of incidents. Uh, The first one being that I had some surgery. I actually agreed to some surgery that I was pretty sure I didn't need almost positive. And yet I found myself insisting that it be done sooner rather than later. And before I knew it, here I was, you know, being wheeled into the hospital room with the operating room with orderlies and tubes and all the stuff you have. And they did, it was just exploratory surgery. They did it, they found nothing. And, you know, that actually what had happened originally was I had switched pills. I had been on some hormones. The doctor said, hey, you know, here are these new hormones. They're better for you. So I said, sure. And then I started some vaginal bleeding. And so he did all of these tests and then said exploratory surgery. So anyway, they I was fine. I went back on the old hormones and, you know, been living healthily ever after. But nevertheless, I was ashamed of myself and furious at myself. Not at the doctor, because, I mean, I think he was looking, I know he was looking for ovarian cancer, and if he'd been right, he would have saved my life. But he wasn't. And there was no reason I couldn't have asked for a second opinion. I couldn't have waited. I mean, I could have gone back on the old pills and seen if it's, I mean, I had a million options or choices, whatever, and didn't exercise any of them. I just rushed myself into surgery. And so that was really the impetus for the book. And then many years later, because I thought about it over the years, not a lot, but enough. And then many years later, I took some classes and talked to a bunch of women who also had agreed to some surgeries that they thought they didn't need. And then I got curious and I started doing some research and talking to even more women. And women face hurdles when they try to get effective medical care. And some of those hurdles can be pretty high to jump. And so that was really some of the things that I really wanted to talk about and discuss in the book. So why is your book sideline different from other books on women's health? There's actually some basic reasons. A lot of the health books on the market today deal with specific diseases. They talk about how to live with diabetes or how to live with endometriosis. My book doesn't focus on the diseases as much as it focuses on the behavior of the women that may have whatever the disease is. The disease is actually in some ways irrelevant to to the behaviors I'm talking about. The women I interviewed all had different diseases. And what I did is I, I interviewed maybe 40, 50 women. And what I did after the interviews is I extrapolated what what they all had in common. And I did find five or six things that they all, behaviors that they all shared regardless of their particular um, illness. So that's the first reason. And then the second reason is I look at the historical and cultural reasons that encourage women or influence women to maybe engage in some of these behaviors And frankly, I think women, as women, we need to get out of our own way. I mean, myself included. This whole book is like, you know, do what I say, not what I do, because I really got myself into some trouble there. But um, the, the reality is that as women, we face external hurdles because there there is gender bias in the medical community even today and then we face internal hurdles you know they come from inside ourselves and so the book deals with both of those things and it just takes a wider world view by looking at the historical and cultural reasons behind all of this mm. so when you interviewed these women when you were researching for this book could you tell us a little bit about how you found them And were they all open to being interviewed on this topic? Oh, that's a great question. Yeah. First of all, I found them, believe it or not, mostly through the internet. 
And then it sort of snowballed. I mean, I went on to like, uh, I think I started with lupus and fibromyalgia, maybe endometriosis, I can't remember, endometriosis support groups. And I just put it out there and I said, I'm a writer and I'd like to interview women and hear about your experience. And I got, you know, not a lot of replies, but enough that I was able to 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 get in, to get people to interview. And then this one knew this one and this one knew that one, you know, so it kind of snowballed. And I, I wouldn't do it today, but I went to their houses and, you know, we met and we talked and had coffee and it was just, it was, it was lovely. They were all so open, Kat. They were just wonderful. Their sole purpose was to help other women and to help other women not go through what they had. They were so generous and so open and so lovely. Um, I felt really good after each interview. It was really lovely. And some were more difficult than others. I mean, some of the women had been through hell. Others had just been through minor hells, you know. Um, and they, they could not have been nicer. So when you did your research, you also created focus groups. Yes. Why did you do that? And did you learn anything different from the focus groups in contrast yes. to individual? I did. I created the focus groups because I wanted more geographical and, and for that matter, racial and ethnic diversity. So that was the reason. And I, I was, it wasn't easy, but I just, I mean, I hired somebody, their focus group facilitators, and they helped me put it together. But what I learned, and this really surprised me, is that women really don't talk about their health very much with other women. Every single woman in my focus group had never talked about their health with anybody other than their doctor. And that really surprised me. And frankly, it made me feel very sad because we all, we all need each other. And particularly when we're sick, we need the support. We need the advice. We, we need each other and we need to get out of our own way and, and get, and not be afraid to ask for help from, from other women. There's so many groups on the internet, support groups that women can join and hear about other people's experiences. So I really learned that one, one, I, I really learned how lonely health illness can be. And I also, that was also one of the reasons I wrote the book, because I really wanted to encourage conversation among women. I think it's so important. I remember when I was um, in school, I was working full time and I went to school at night and I had just been going through some treatments for like cervical cancer or whatever, where like they're scraping and everything. And then they're like, it's gone. It's back. It's gone. It's back. <laughs> and it, it was years and I was dealing with it by myself. I didn't have anyone to really talk to. And then I just like um, somebody in the class mentioned it and I'm like, oh my God, I have that. I'm dealing with that. And then every single woman in the class said, I did it too. It's fine. It's no big deal. Every single woman. Every that's single woman. Amazing. That's amazing. Uh, yeah, well, that's and that's what we need to do. You'll be surprised how many, or maybe well, you won't be from what you just said, but it's surprising how many women there are out there that have one thing or another and who need to talk about it, who want to talk about it. But I got a lot of, well, you know, people don't want to hear that. You don't want to be depressing. People want to have a good time. And I don't know that that's necessarily true. In fact, I don't think it is. I don't. I mean, I, I want to hear about what's going on with people. I mean, it's, it's called intimacy. You know, I don't want I don't want to keep the conversation up here. So I think women can and should and, and it would benefit them to talk to each other I, as you learned, you know. So I know that the women in my life, at least they're more concerned with health than men. So <laughs> when you say that they're having trouble getting more effective health care, what do you mean by that? Well, I think there's two two big reasons. One is there is gender bias still in the medical community. It's much better than it was. But there's about 12 million Americans that are misdiagnosed each year. And women and minorities are far more likely to be misdiagnosed than men, really white men, to be honest. Um, it's just a fact of life. And women hesitate to get second opinions because that comes from the women themselves. They don't want to hurt the doctor's feelings and they don't want to be a bad patient. So sometimes we've got this misdiagnosis. We're being treated for something we probably or may not have. And I, I think that that's a, that's a real issue. The other thing that I think happens is that women get a psychological diagnosis. You know, when women and men talk to doctors differently, and when we go, when we, when women go into the doctor and we list our symptoms, 
we we talk about how we feel about them. We don't just go in and say, I have a sore throat or I have a broken leg or whatever we say. We talk about how, how it makes it, we're tired and we can't drive carpool because it's the leg we drive with and, 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 and we go on. And we talk about our stress. And I think that that influences doctors to give us a more psychological diagnosis. There was a really interesting study done where two groups of, actually they were, I think, interns or students, it doesn't matter, but men and women, and they both groups had exactly the, were, were, had exactly the same cardiac symptoms. The, the aim of the study was to see how many were, would be given a cardiac workup. And when stress was not mentioned, both groups got equal recommendations for cardiac workups. Once the word stress was mentioned, the men in the group got recommendations for cardiac workups. Only 15% of the women did. The rest were told to take antidepressants, see a counselor, whatever. Um, so that the stress is, a, if you talk about your stress, it is a big, it does influence the doctor. And that's one of the things I mean about gender bias. But on the other hand, I'm not suggesting that you don't mention how you're feeling either. So it's a very fine line. Um, but some of the other internal things that we do besides the gender bias in the community is that women, as I said, hesitate to get second opinions. Women are misdiagnosed. Women talk to doctors differently from men. We describe our symptoms differently. Um, there's just a lot of reasons. The book lists six things that, that women do that we really, as I said earlier, have to get out of our own way. Mm. So going back to when I had the cervical cancer and the not getting a second opinion, I am a huge advocate for second opinions because yes. of my experience. I remember going for years to get these treatments. It's gone. It's back. It's gone. It's back. And then finally, I just said, I had a bad feeling. And then the doctor had an emergency. So he left during where there's like a camera inside. So then, yes. So when he got, when he left, I got up and I looked at the camera, the the video, and I took pictures of it. And I'm like looking at it, I'm like, I don't know anything about what it's supposed to look like, a cervix, but I'm like, this looks perfect to me. And then I went home and I looked up pictures of healthy cervix and, you know, cancerous cervix and right. mine was perfectly healthy. So then, yes. So then I immediately said, I need a second opinion. And I went to another person, another doctor, and I said, I want to get checked for everything. I didn't tell them about being already checked before because right. I didn't want them right. to have any bias. Right. And they're like, nothing, you're perfectly healthy. And, and then I went to a third person. Nothing, you're perfectly healthy. Oh, my goodness. Yes. So there's so many women that I feel like they're not getting second opinions. And you don't know because this is a business. And I hate to say it like that, but this is a business. Absolutely. Absolutely. Can we just, let me just digress for a second. Let's talk about drugs. I mean, you know, prescription drugs, pharmacies. Oh my goodness. First of all, 80% of all health pur purchasing decisions are made by women. So if you'll notice next time you see drug ag, there's, they're aimed at women. And we are the only country except for New Zealand in the entire world that allows drug, drug companies to advertise to consumers. And it works. It's so effective. Two thirds of people who see a drug ad will call their doctor and ask for a prescription or ask for an appointment, something like that. I mean, it's amazingly, it's just amazing how effective they are. And the side effects are always minimized. Um, I'll tell you a story that happened to me and my thumb. <laughs> I had a sore thumb. It just was, I was sure it was arthritis, but you know, I'm, I'm a hypochondriac after, particularly after writing this book. So I was sure it was thumb cancer or something. So I went to the doctor and she said, oh no, it's an arthritic th thumb. And she gave me some medication. And I said, well, yeah, I just need you to know I recently lost my husband. I'm on Lexapro for depression. And I want to be sure that this doesn't interfere with my Lexapro or vice versa, you know, that there's no interaction. She said, no, 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 it's just fine. Well, because of my own book now, I came home and I researched the drug and it's true, 99% of the time it's fine, but 1% of the people get brain bleeds from it. And I'm thinking, would I rather have a brain bleed or a sore thumb? I mean, if you're in the 1%, it's kind of yicky, you know? So I didn't take the drug. I mean, and my thumb is just fine. It cured itself. But nevertheless, um, you, you, 
the drug medicine is a business and the the medications are a business, a huge business, huge. Yes. It's yeah, it's basically, and also if you're a doctor, I mean, if all you have is a hammer, everything is a nail. Mm-hmm. As a doctor, all you have is if you're just a regular doctor, prescriptions. It's all you can do to help someone. If you're right. a surgeon, all you can do is surgery. Right. You don't know anything else. They're not taught diet. They're not taught how to deal with stress. Right. Nothing. No, you're you're so right. In fact, there was a line in one of the books I read, actually, that if you go in with the same symptoms and you go to a gastroenterologist, they're going to tell you it's your stomach. If you go to a rheumatologist, they're going to tell you it's arthritis or joint issues. If you go to a psychologist, they're going to tell you you're stressed. We, we see what we expect to see, which is what you were just saying. And I think that that is just so, so true. And I cannot emphasize enough the importance of second opinions. In fact, I feel that so strongly that I work very hard. There's a resource list in the back of my book that tells you how to get second opinions, where you can go, how to check out your doctor, how to check out your hospitals. Where do you, if you have heart, need heart surgery, where's the best place to go? If you have the resources and the options to get there, where not to go. I mean, anybody that buys the book should definitely go to the resource section. It's in some ways the most important part of the book. It gives you the tools to do the research that you need to. And talking about research for a minute, we rarely research the doc. (laughs) That was another thing. People spend about eight hours researching a new job, maybe 10 hours researching a new car, or maybe it's the other way around, but you get the point. But we spend hardly any time at all researching a surgeon or the surgery that we get that we may need or our doctors. I think an hour at the most. So that's not it should be we should really spend eight hours researching our doctors. And I don't know about a car. That's not my not my bailiwick, but <laughs> research is critical and second, I'm with you, second opinions are so critical. You know, it was interesting because when I talked to women about second opinions, they were mostly, they were really hesitant to get them. They knew that they should, but they were very hesitant about it. One woman, one woman said that she didn't want to be labeled a bad patient, that if that went on her chart, that would follow her all the way through her medical career, I guess you'd say. And that really stopped her from doing the research that she needed to do. And another woman said she was afraid of being labeled a hysterical patient because women still get, I mean, I think stress is the new code word for, you know, what used to be called hysteria. And she was so worried about that, that she was embarrassed and ashamed. Um, And I think that, that there are some really good reasons that women don't get second opinions and they need to be aware that although they're they're they seem like good reasons, they're really, fictitious or fictional narratives in a sense. We're telling ourselves stories that may or may not actually happen. Um, And I think that that's important, very important to recognize. So how much of a role does stress play in women's health? Because in my opinion, I think most things are caused by stress. And instead of getting the surgery, the medication or whatever, the doctor says you need to deal with the stress. The cause of the stress. I'm going to answer that in two ways. Um, yes and no. I think stress has a tremendous amount to do with to do with illness, men and women. I mean, it, it definitely lowers our immune system. Um, I think it alters our microbiomes and our guts. I think it has a lot to do with illness. On the other hand, I also think a lot of illness is random. There, are, I'm a perfect example. As I said, I lost my husband. I mean, talk about stress. And I have not been sick at all. Now, I do wear a mask when I go out because of COVID. So maybe that had something to do with it. But there are people that are under tremendous stress and, and don't get sick. There are people that smoke and don't get lung cancer. There are people that drink and don't get liver cancer or whatever, you know, liver, have, liver disease. Um, so I don't know that you can say, that, that stress is the only or the which you didn't, but the only or the it's a major cause of illness, but not not the only cause. In fact, I'll tell you about my father-in-law because he did everything wrong. I mean, he ate nothing but red meat. He never exercised. He smoked cigars daily. He wouldn't look at a vegetable. I mean, he if it was a green or orange like a carrot off the plate and he you know was healthy till the day he died at 85. I do everything right. I exercise. I do all the right things. And my blood pressure is higher than his ever was. So there is a randomness to illness. But 
I want to talk about one other thing about stress, which I think is really important. So many of the women I met blamed their illness on stress. <coughs> Excuse me. And what what that how that manifested was that they felt so guilty and so ashamed and so embarrassed about being ill because they felt their illness was like a public acknowledgement that they couldn't handle their stress. They couldn't manage their lives. And that the shame that they felt was just overwhelming. And it stops many of them from calling the doctor because they were too embarrassed to admit that their interpretation, they were admitting that they couldn't handle their lives, that they were overwhelmed. So I think, although you're right, stress has a lot to do with illness, it can also be a dangerous thing to think. Uh, in some ways, shame and, and stress go hand in hand, and shame can be fatal. Um, <laughs> there, there was a study done where uh, researchers asked, of, I think, I don't know, 6, 12, whatever it was, women who, were, who had heart attack symptoms, how many of them would call 911? And I think over 50% said that they would not call 911 because they were afraid that the paramedics would see their messy house. So meanwhile, these women think they're having a heart attack and they're not calling 911. I mean, because of shame. Shame can be fatal. So that's it was a long answer to your stress question, but I think stress is a, it has several what's the word I want several interpretations. No, that that definitely speaks to me. I'm one of those women. I wouldn't I would on my deathbed be trying to clean up and then be like, <laughs> let me make it very perfect. I don't want them to think they're you know <laughs> anything. I know. Well, do you think this is going to be on your tombstone? If only she kept the neater house, she'd be alive today, right? You know, one thing I didn't know, because I, I had the stomach flu, and I thought, well, maybe it was a heart attack. So I just sort of laid there wondering if I was going to throw up or die, you know. And it turns out you only have about four hours if you are having a heart attack. The window's about four hours or so before you do real damage to your heart muscle. So don't don't screw around. Next time, I mean, if, if anybody out there thinks they're having a heart attack, call the, get, get an EKG, call the paramedics immediately. Because even if you don't die, you could do some serious damage just because you lollygagged around, you know. Um, I didn't know that actually. I mean, I could. I, I didn't want to. I was just what I said in my book. I laid there on the floor thinking, let's see, should I wake my family or shouldn't I? Meanwhile, I could have died trying to save everybody from having a bad night's sleep. I mean, really, you know, bad choice. Yes. <laughs> I mean, it's it's good to know that it's only four hours. So you just, you know, get over yourself faster. Right. But I would be thinking the same thing like, oh, I don't want to like wake people up if it's like gas or something. Exactly. Exactly. And I thought it was the stomach flu. I get the stomach flu all the time, but this felt different. It felt, I was clammy and just, I had symptoms that I hadn't usually had before and I got scared, but I mean, thank God it was the stomach flu, but I truly could have just killed myself and not, you know, without meaning to. So it was yeah. like I said earlier, do as I, you know, do as I say, not as I do. <laughs> so when you interviewed the women, what were some things that they had in common? Oh my. Well, first of all, as women, like, like all of us, they put themselves, I guess, last, you would say, certainly not first. Um, some women were asked, they were given a list of things to prioritize. And here, here's how they prioritize. They first take care of their children. Then they take care of their pets, which I thought was really interesting. And I think third was elderly parents or family members. And fourth was, I think, their significant others. But fifth and last was themselves. And I think that's typical of all of us. You know, we're busy. We have stuff to do at work. We have kids to take care of. We do like 80% of the caretaking in the entire world. So just we don't always have time to run to the doctor. And I, that was the first thing. All of the women I talked with, or pretty much all of them, really put themselves last, did themselves a disservice in that way. They all hesitated, as we talked about, to get second opinions. They all felt ashamed and blamed themselves and, and completely misinterpreted their illness as, as uh, their inability to manage their lives. It, it was, I, when, which is incidentally, that is something I don't do. I get very angry when I'm sick. It doesn't occur to me that I'm not managing my life. It just it, it, I don't go there. I probably will now after reading my own book, but um, it never occurred to me. And then I, I, I'd learned, too, that we talk to doctors differently, as I think I said. Um, 
We talk much more emotionally than, you know, men go to the doctor and they're much more succinct. They stick to the facts. They don't want to sound like a baby. They keep a stiff upper lip. That's not what women do. So by the way, our conversation style, I think, leads us or it leads the doctor to give us that psychological diagnosis. And it can be a really tough line because you do need to tell the doctor how you feel. And you also need to be careful that your feelings don't overwhelm your physical symptoms in your description, I mean. Um, and then we reach for that magic pill, you know, where we're, we watch a TV ad and we call the doctor and say, what about this drug? Or maybe I should come in or we're, too, we're so anxious to get physical relief to come full circle so that we can take better care of our families because we're not feeling well. So we want relief and we don't think it through. And I think that what women need to do, what patients need to do, men and women, is do the research, really. Get the clinical name of, of whatever disease you have and get the name of the pill so that you can look both up. Because as I said, would you rather have a sore thumb or a brain bleed? I mean, you really have to be careful. And it, it isn't necessarily the doctor's fault. She was trying to relieve my pain. And 99% of the people, it would have been just fine. It's just if you're not in the 99%, that's when you have the issue. So I think that the research is very, very important. But it was so interesting to me how much in common the women did have. And it was just so, um, it, their disease had nothing to do with the behaviors in which they engaged. It was amazing, just amazing. And do you find women have a better time with their doctor if they're a man or a woman? Ah, that's my favorite question. It really is. Um, I'm going to say, I'll start by saying this way. It doesn't make a bit of difference. What makes, there's a couple of things that make a difference. They do have different conversation styles. Women doctors will talk to you more. They probably are a little more interested in how you're feeling. Whereas a male doctor is a little more interested in your history. But also what happens is that if you have a, if your woman, if your doctor is a woman, your appointment will take a little longer than if your doctor is a man. So for example, if you're on your lunch hour and you want to get in and out, you're better off with a male doctor. If you have more time and you want to establish a more personal relationship, you may be better off with a female doctor. Now that I've said that, I noticed as I was, I didn't realize before, but as I was writing this chapter, I realized that my doctors are both men and women. And I have a male doctor who spends an hour with me, minimum, if you can believe that today, always wants to know how I feel. And I have a, a couple of female doctors that couldn't care less. I mean, they're very good. They're competent, but they don't care how I feel. I mean, it's, I don't know if they don't care, but it, they, it doesn't come up. So you, I'm making a generalization that perhaps it's not correct to make. But I think there's two things you want when you choose a doctor. And I, I really think that the gender is less important. You want somebody, obviously, that's competent. I, just because somebody's a doctor doesn't mean that they're the best that they can be. Um, there, there's lemons in every profession, let's, let's face it. And secondly, you want somebody with whom you're comfortable. Because the more comfortable you are, the more likely you are to tell them how you're feeling, to tell them your symptoms, to describe what's going on more fully. And that gives the doctor a much better picture of what's going on. So comfort and confidence are the two things that I think are really, really important. And I do think people get stuck on the doctor's gender and it isn't, it isn't necessarily one way or the other, just depends. Yeah. I've, I have found that it's more of the energy of the doctor. If they're a more masculine energy, they just want facts right. and it's in and out. Right. If they're more like a caring, feminine, nurturing, yes. motherly energy, which can yes. be male or female, then yes. they want to hear about your life, what's going on, everything. Right. That's the doctor that spends an hour with me. He's fabulous. Just fabulous. And he knows me. You know, when I call, he knows who I am. So that's fabulous. He doesn't have to run and get my chart, you know, and then I've been in the room where he's gotten calls from people and he says, oh, and he, he just rattles it off, you know, from the top of his head. He knows what he's doing. It's amazing. Yeah. Um, my husband is like that. He spends like one to two hours with a new patient learning everything about them. It's like, it's really nice because, I mean, we need more of that. Yes, I agree. I agree completely. And I, what is an average doctor visit is what, 15 minutes, something like that. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, think about what I said. This guy spends an hour with me, sometimes more. 
In fact, he does that with each patient. So I've learned really to go. I like to be his first patient because otherwise, you know, you can have a 10 o'clock appointment. And you might not get seen till 11 because he does with everybody what he does with me. So he's always running over. <laughs> and I remember um, when I was younger, I was a little depressed because I was dating and like things weren't working out with guys. And yeah, I was just depressed about that. So I went to my doctor and, and she was a female. And normally I never talk about depression or how I'm feeling or anything about my personal life because I don't want to get labeled as crazy or given some medication and that's on my file forever. I just, I didn't want that, but she got a phone call and she's talking to her daughter and who's dealing with something like that. And she gave such great advice. So then I told her that because I felt more comfortable and she gave me some amazing advice, no medication, nothing like that. She was just like, it's your attitude on how you approach life instead of worrying about, is this going to end up as a marriage? Cause that's what I was worried about at the time. She's like, just why don't you worry about having as much fun as possible and let it happen on its own. And that woman changed my life because I went from yeah, from being depressed and anxious, like worrying about, is this going to work out to let me just have fun. And it was so refreshing to people that I didn't have any problems after that. Everybody wanted to marry me. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, no, it makes a big difference, doesn't it? And you must have felt relief from the burden of, you know, worrying about marriage, really. Just having fun can be a lovely, lovely opportunity, right? Yeah. And I think it's like um, doctors do kind of need to ask people how they're doing and kind of see because so many of our physical symptoms are just because of what's going on in our life or in our own heads. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Absolutely. And it's so interesting that as soon as you got comfortable, you were able to open up. I think that that's really important what you just said. It sort of underscores what I was saying about comfort. Um. Made it look at the and look at the difference it made for you. That's a fantastic story, really. One of the other, I'm sorry, you you started to go go on. (laughs) One of the other things I learned when I was thinking about and and researching uh, how women communicate. Would you believe this? I did not. I was startled that so many women lie to their doctors. They don't tell them, you know. I well, I always exercise. Of course, I exercise. I never drink. And I never have sweets. Oh, my goodness. I eat nothing but, you know, healthy foods, et cetera. And what's even more amazing is so many of those women don't even realize that it makes a difference in their diagnosis. The doctor not only doesn't does the doctor not have the full story, but he or she doesn't even they, they just don't have the right picture. They have the wrong picture. It's, it's not even a, they're not even just missing part of a picture. Their information is incorrect. It's inaccurate. And that makes a huge difference in your diagnosis. And I, I, that blew me away. It just blew me away. And then I also read that women minimize their symptoms. And that doc, I mean, particularly lupus and fibromyalgia patients, they get tired waiting in the waiting room or whatever. And they, a couple of them said, so by the time they go in the doctor's office, they're so tired. And the doctor says, how are you doing? So they just say, oh, okay. They, all they want to do is go home and go to bed. And doctors don't realize how many women minimize their symptoms. I thought that was interesting. And of course, the women are doing themselves a disservice. And I can understand how tired they must feel to do that to themselves. You know, they must be exhausted. I've I've never had either disease, thank goodness. But um, they're tough, you know. And I I think there's sometimes communication how do I say it? Communication things that go on that the doctor, of which the doctors are unaware. Um, the doctor should read my book too. What can I say? <laughs> yes, I agree. <laughs> um, another thing that happened to me, cause I like giving personal stories because yes. a lot of people can relate to these things because they seem to be unfortunately very common is that when I was younger, I was, I had hormonal problems, hormonal acne, all that stuff. Yeah, so me. I was, and I had told you this before that I was given antibiotic after antibiotic for that. They don't work for acne. I don't know why this was common practice. Right. So then they put me on birth control, which helped with the acne, but then I got chronic UTIs. So then I needed antibiotics for that every month. So that didn't help. So then everything is destroying the microbiome and all that stuff. And 
I'm going to doctors and specialists. I'm getting procedures done. Nobody knows why I keep getting these UTIs. And then finally, just out of curiosity, I look at the little insert and see all the side effects of the birth control I've been on for years. And UTI is right there. Chronic UTIs. There you go. Right. And the and then I present it to my gynecologist and she's like, oh, I didn't know about that. And it's like, oh, my goodness. Oh, well. oh my goodness. is Oh, my goodness. On the other side. <laughs> yeah. And this is not one gynecologist. I've been to specialists at this point, multiple gynecologists. We're talking about 20 doctors didn't catch this and knew I was on birth control. Your research paid off. I mean, really, let's let's everybody remember that. You, you, and like, as I said earlier, my thumb or your UTIs. I mean, some of this is so unnecessary. Just and and, and in, I, I don't blame the doctors. First of all, you know how many drugs there are out there? And to know the side effects of each one and what they interact with, it's, they can't. I mean, nobody could keep up with that. So we really have to be our own advocates. And that's one of the messages of the book is, be your own advocate, be empowered, have the courage to look at, to look something up and say to, say to the doctor, frankly, as I did, I don't think I want to take this drug. It's going to, might give me a brain bleed. Thank you very much. Um, I'm not interested, you know, and, and it does take some courage. It truly does. Um, and I think it's, it's just so important to research, get your second opinions. Those are there was there's a story in the book about Rita Wilson who had breast cancer, and I, I first she was told she didn't have it, then she was told she did, or maybe vice versa. She went and got several. I mean, she had the resources, and she also lived in L.A., so it was possible. But I mean, she she really finally found out that yes, she did have it, but it was her diligence and her research that saved her life. And I think that again, it's just what we need as women, as patients, men too. It's what we need to do. Yes. Really important. And, and I also think that we put a little bit too much on the doctor. They can't do everything and right. we have to take responsibility for our own health. And if you want to go to the doctor and they offer you some drugs, it's your responsibility as a patient, I feel, to go home and look at all the side effects, Right. study the interactions with other medications you might be on yourself. Right. The doctor doesn't have the time. Right. And insurance doesn't even allow them to have the time. So if your doctor is taking right. insurance, that's a good point. They only have they have to do a specific quota a day. Right. And if they don't make that, like they're not making money. Doctors don't make as much as they used to. People don't realize this. It's not right. a big money making field. Right. It used to be. It did used to be. Yeah, it used to be like a big thing, but now um, they have to do so much more quantity to just get by to put keep, keep the lights on at this point. So, yes. yeah, that's why like if you have the resources, it's kind of better to do the doctor that spends more time with you, but maybe doesn't take the insurance, which right. I know is horrible and right. prohibitive for most people. Right. But that's really the state we're in because insurance yes. does make it impossible for a doctor to have any time to do any research. So they're counting on these pharmaceutical reps more than ever before. Yes. And these are just yeah. young, beautiful women. I've seen them because I worked in the medical field. So they come in and they're just like, oh, this is great. This is wonderful. What are the side effects? Oh, it's almost nothing. Like there's no side effects. And the doctor just takes their word for it because what right. kind of time does a doctor have? Right. None. Right. Well, and they get wined and dined and the billions that the pharmaceutical companies spend on um, marketing and advertising to doctors as well as consumers. I mean, it's mind boggling. They could feed everybody in the world with those kinds of budgets, truly. But, you know, I want to talk about one more thing that I did uh, forget to mention because we were talking about how women get misdiagnosed more often than men. Or, and also that misdiagnoses is, are so common. But I think what's important to realize, and frankly, I didn't realize this until I did the research, there's about 20 to 30, maybe even 40,000 different diseases out there. And many of them have similar symptoms. So I think it's, it's impossible for a doctor. It's like looking for a needle in a haystack, particularly when you go in with vague symptoms and you're tired and you have no energy and you've lost your appetite. I mean, I, I ache, I just have a general ache here or there. You know how many diseases those symptoms fit? So truly the doctor is just 
he's it's an he's guessing it's an educated or she's not necessarily he but they're, they're i don't mean by guessing that they have no idea i mean it's certainly an educated guess and they're able to narrow it down obviously and some diseases are more common than others but nevertheless it's a very tricky thing to do and as women i think one of the reasons again that we're more misdiagnosed misdiagnosed more frequently is we get a lot of autoimmune diseases and their symptoms Number one, do mimic each other. Two, there's not necessarily any medical test that can confirm a diagnosis. So when you get a, a, a fibromyalgia, well, I think they have, I've forgotten, they do have some sort of test for that. But these diseases are more vague. I mean, if your leg hurts and they take an x-ray and you have a broken leg, it's obvious what the problem is. But that isn't true with autoimmune diseases. And we also suffer more from depression and anxiety. And, and so that answers part of your stress question. So I think, again, it's very difficult for doctors just to go in and nail it. And again, that's why second opinions are so, and even third opinions, as you said, um, that's why they're so important. Yes. And going back to the stress thing, I actually found out recently that the adrenal glands, the stress glands on men are huge and there's teeny tiny for women. <laughs> You'd think we'd be stressed less, wouldn't you? So we basically, do- it's we can't handle the stress. We were not meant to deal with stress. We were meant to be at home with the kids, relax, <laughs> just, you know, take it easy. And now we're out there pretending to be men. <laughs> Right. It's hard, isn't it? And have, I don't know how relaxing it is to have a house full of kids, but I know what you mean. Yeah. yeah I mean, it, it was relaxing, I think, before we had to like do their homework with them. And now we have to know trigonometry and it's like, what? <laughs> no, my, my daughter was saying she did very well in ninth grade math, you know? <laughs> yeah, no, it's it's tricky. It's very tricky today. Um, well, kids are back in school now, so that makes it a little bit easier. Oh, oh yes, that, that was that was hell. Yeah, I'll bet it was. Do you have young kids? Yes, I have a nine-year-old, and it was absolutely terrible. I can imagine. I don't know anything anymore, and they're doing everything brand new. <laughs> no, it's true. And I'm a writer, so I was trying to help write a couple of essays, and I didn't do that well. I mean, <laughs> I really didn't. My grandsons did better than I did, so there you go. But everybody's back in school, so that at least that crisis temporarily, anyway, is over. But yeah, until the next, <laughs> until the next, right? Seem to be going from one to the next, don't we? How can women focus their visits so they can get more of what they need? Several ways. First thing, make a list before you go into the doctor. Make a list of everything you want to say. That's very important because it helps you stay on your agenda. It focuses the visit and it helps the doctor stay on track. Frequently what happens is that you'll you'll list your first symptoms, the doctor or symptom. The doctor goes off on that because he knows it's or she knows it's important. But then you don't always get to go back and finish your agenda. Whereas if you have a list, both you and the doctor will see the physical list. I mean, make a make a list. Don't just carry it in your head. And that will really help. Second, I think it's also very important when you get a diagnosis to say, what else could it possibly be? What else could these symptoms possibly reveal, reflect, whatever the right word is? So that you're, you have a couple of things to go home and check and see what fits most comfortably. And then I think third, it's important to really repeat back what you hear the doctor say. That gives you a chance to make sure that you understood correctly, gives the doctor a chance to clarify anything that you might have misunderstood. So now you're going home with your list complete. You, You have a couple of ideas what you might have and you know you've heard correctly. And then last and certainly not least, be sure if you possibly can take somebody with you. It helps to have an advocate. First of all, if you're like me, you'll get anxious when you're at the doctor and I have trouble hearing. I always take one of my daughters because I just miss half of it. You know, it's just who I am. And and also an advocate, if the doctor says, well, you know, you're in some sort of pain or whatever the doctor says, the advocate can say, well, you know, her head doesn't usually hurt that much. So this does feel different or feel it sounds different to me. Something so that you have some support there um, and, you're, and you don't want to get, you don't want to have your symptoms just blown off. Um, so I think that there are quite a few things 
that women can do, but the list and also clarifying, you know, what have the doctor clarify what you may have misunderstood is, is crucial. Yes. And I have been kicked out of a few doctor's offices myself. <laughs> yes, I have been because I, back to when I had acne, I finally said, I don't want uh, um, antibiotics anymore. I'm like, is there anything else that we can do for the acne? And they're like, no, there's absolutely not. And you have to take this. And I'm like, well, I don't want to take that. And then they're like, well, then get out. Yeah, right. (laughs) Right, right. That's amazing. That's just, yeah, I remember when I used to take my kids to the doctor because, you know, like like they were teenagers and they had acne and he would treat me. His skin was, his kids, they were, they were fine, but my skin was always oily, broken out, you know, it's very funny. But yeah, I, I was given antibiotics too, so times haven't changed all that much because we're certainly not the same age. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, it it's crazy. So you have to do your own research and you have to be prepared to walk out if they just yeah. are not responsive to what you want to do. Because I wanted to actually get to the root cause. I'm like, what is causing this? Right. And I, I know now that doctors, unless they do functional medicine, they're not taught root cause. That's yeah, that's I, I, I didn't know that, but that's interesting. They're basically taught symptom management. Okay. Okay. What kind of doctor is your husband? He does functional medicine. He does functional medicine. Yeah. I've heard that term. I'm not I mean, I I don't know if my doctors do or don't. I really have never asked. Uh that's interesting. Found out about functional medicine because he was into that, oh. and I, I remember um, when I had the acne, and he's like, "No, no, you need to work on your diet. We're gonna do this. You need to stop eating like you know this type of food that's inflammatory, and the inflammatory oils, and you know, of course, no sugars and no processed food." And I'm just like, "No, no, no, no. I think it's something else. Let me just go <laughs> to a real doctor. You know, like I didn't. We're just so terrible. Like when." <laughs> are like significant others we don't trust them as much it's terrible I don't know why and I've talked to other uh, friends that their husbands or their wives are professionals in their career and their spouses still don't trust their opinion it's like terrible so yeah so I got a second opinion from my husband that's and and I found like it was just it was horrible and then finally it took me years before I finally mm-hmm. went back to him after going through all the doc like one doctor finally said it's your hormones I can't help you you know oh that right God. all I can do like she was honest thank god she just said it's hormones I don't treat hormones so you know there's nothing wow. I can do but cover it up and I'm like well thank you for yeah. at least being honest right and then I went back to my husband I'm like okay fine <laughs> <laughs> Let's do it your way. And it worked, huh? It did. But I mean, it was a long process of many tests, many, um, you know, trial and error with different supplements to see what wouldn't move the needle along the test. So it's way more expensive functional medicine because of that, because you test for a baseline, you do some changes, then you test to see if it's going up or down in the right direction. Then you, you know, constantly tweaking. So I know that's cost prohibitive to most people course, unfortunately yes. and it's not covered by insurance which oh, it's is not like, covered by insurance. no it, it's like they don't want to cover functional medicine i didn't know that yeah why i wonder well i think because the pharmaceutical companies are the ones that provide the textbooks okay to the doctors so i think it's kind of like it's it's a business right in every aspect of it so yeah. i mean it's great business when you think of it well sure so you sure. can't you can't blame them. They're being smart, but they're not really they're not in it to help the person as much as this is a business. They have to get you on something that you need chronically. And right. then they make their money that way. It's not always a, what I mean, what disease is cured without like a medication anymore? I just don't see that. Right. 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 But functional medicine then doesn't use medication? They they can, but they try to avoid it. It's more like, let's do the lifestyle first. Let's fix the diet. Uh Let's fix like maybe some supplements. Maybe you need some, like some vitamin. I also did not know this before, but when you take birth control, it depletes so many minerals and vitamins in your body, like depletes them to like near zero. So then of course, 
none of these other functions in your body are going to work optimally. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. And huh. also when you're on birth control, it, it does something to like your bones cannot get as strong because that's usually during your fertile years is where you're, you're getting your bone density. So once you're off of it, you haven't gotten that bone density that you needed during your fertile years. Right. So, I mean, it's a whole bunch of stuff happens when you take a uh, medication. Well, for sure. For sure. Yeah. Medication can, it's, it's life-saving and it can be dangerous at the same time. Yeah. I consider medication great for acute things. If you were hit by a truck, if you're having a heart attack, if right. there's something that needs to be de dealt with immediately, get the medication, you know, deal with the side effects. That's totally fine. Go to the hospital. Right. But if it's a chronic condition, that's not life-threatening, there's definitely other ways for most conditions where you can just deal with it um, with diet, lifestyle, maybe some herbal teas. I mean, I took some teas that help get rid of cramps. Huh. I took high dose magnesium and I didn't have cramps anymore and ginger tea. Huh? Who would have thought? I mean, I, I was told I had endometriosis and all these things. And I'm like thinking this is going to be my life, chronic pains until menopause. And then just uh, some magnesium pills and, and ginger tea and then no more pain. And, you know, the, I think the problem though with taking some supplements, what worries me, supplements aren't regulated. They're not approved by the FDA. I don't know how, ma how many have gone through any kind of clinical testing. So it would worry me, I think. I, I don't take any supplements. I don't even take calcium. I mean, I take nothing. Um, sometimes I'll take vitamin D if I haven't been outside in a while, but it's probably useless. I just do it. But really, uh, supplements do frighten me a little bit because you don't quite know what you're getting. I've read that sometimes they'll say they have this ingredient and they have more of it than they say or less of it than they say. And it's just not regulated. And that does worry me. But you haven't had that experience? Well, there's a difference. If it's over the counter and not from a physician or a medical professional, there's two different types. So the supplements oh. that are regulated and that they have like, you know, the FDA and all that stuff, those you can only get from like a doctor or I maybe see. like some other medical professional. I but see. if it's over the counter, absolutely, you're right. Those yeah. are just, I think there was a study that said like 60% didn't even have what they said on the bottle. Exactly. Exactly. So that's pretty scary. Yes. That's, they frighten me. They really do. I find that the, I mean, well, it's easy for me to say, cause I haven't been sick very much, but the less I take, I, I don't know if I haven't been sick because I haven't taken anything or do I, have I not taken anything because I haven't been sick? I don't know which came first, but um, I'm lucky. Let's put it that way. Yes. <laughs> yes. So, but definitely um, I would say everybody should be on magnesium, but try to get it from a doctor or even like a nutritionist or a dietitian. Sometimes they yeah. have access to these type of more regulated and such uh, supplements. But well, you can get it, as you said, from, from food too, can't you? Not can as you much. That's another rabbit hole. Yeah, oh, really? Yes, because um, we used to have like uh, more regenerative farming practices, like in mm -hmm. the old times, like mm -hmm. when you were a kid, it was just food. Now we have organic and conventional food and now we have right. GMOs and non-GMO food. Right. I mean, we don't right. have food like it, it's supposed to be. There's supposed to right. be, you know, dead animals in the soil. There's supposed to be bugs. There's not supposed to be chemical fertilizers right. and pesticides because, you know, there's more to it than that. So the soil is depleted and therefore it can't give, get nutrients for the food like it used to. So I think it was something like one orange vitamin C, like when you were a child would probably, we'd need like 20 oranges to get the same yeah. vitamin C. And by then you've had so much sugar that you've got diabetes. <laughs> That's a good point. That's very funny. And it's probably true. Yeah. Yeah, it, it's it's really unfortunate now, everything that's going on. But I've seen a trend towards more regenerative farming, thank God. Yeah. And yeah. they're trying to, you know, put more vitamins and minerals into the topsoil. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, I've been growing my own vegetables now, which is just lovely. Um, and I don't, you know, I try very hard not to spray and I don't. I mean, unless something's being eaten to death, then of course I do. But otherwise I don't. Um, so I know that I know that they're clean and organic and healthy and all those things. <laughs> that, that is so important. So if you could give 
maybe a few tips for women to better manage their health, their health, sorry, and decision-making capabilities, what would they be? Aha. I think a couple of things again. I think number one, we really need to get out of our own way. And by that, I mean, there are hurdles out there, both from the medical community and from inside ourselves. Regarding the medical community, we can't control those. All we can do is be aware of them, recognize them, and sharpen our tools to deal with them. The ones inside ourselves, again, it's those we can control. And it is important to know what they are. And each of the chapters actually in my book does have a what to do about it section. So it gives, there are some tips that you can use to avoid whatever the particular problem is. And I think that's, that's the first thing I would say. The second thing I would say is take charge of your own health even more than you already do. Do your research, go to the back of my book or whatever, look up, do your research. And I think that that's so important so that you know what you have, what the symptoms are, what drugs you're taking, what the side effects are. You want to be able to be informed and make even more informed and educated decisions than, than perhaps you do already. And thirdly, just be empowered. Be, don't be afraid to get a second opinion. It's your body. You want to make sure that what you're doing is the right thing to do. And again, remember, there's so many diseases out there and so many different medications. Get, get a, you, you want to have what you've been told. You want it to be confirmed or not confirmed. And if it's not confirmed, then you need to do maybe go to a third person. And I don't know the insurance details of that. But you, you need to be sure that you're on the right program before you start, particularly if the treatment is invasive. I mean, I wouldn't start chemotherapy until I'd been at least had two or three opinions that I really did have that particular cancer. And sometimes it's, it's obvious, but other times it isn't. And I, so I think those are the three things I would say. Make informed decisions, be aware of the hurdles, and be empowered. Have the courage to take charge. And where can everyone go to find more information on you and your book? You can go to my website, first of all, which is susansalinger.com, and that's S-A-L-E-N-G-E-R. And the book is available on Amazon and Barnes and Noble and bookshop.org, or maybe hopefully your local bookstore. The name of the book is Sidelined, How Women Manage and Mismanage Their Health. So when you dial up the title, don't just put sidelined because there's a lot of books that start with that. So it's sidelined how women manage and mismanage their health. And it's available wherever books are sold. I mean, you can get it at Target or Walmart or any of those. So, but thank you for asking. I appreciate that. And are you on active on any social media platforms? I am. I'm on Instagram, Facebook. Twitter, LinkedIn, and going to be on TikTok. I'm a weightlifter. I'm a powerlifter. So we're going to, we've been taking shots of me bench pressing, et cetera. And we're going to talk about health tips and weightlifting tips on TikTok. But that's not on there yet. I'm still shooting the, the videos. It's really fun. But, <laughs> you know, <laughs> my dog comes in and watches. It's hilarious. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm going to need to watch that for myself. Yeah, no, absolutely. <laughs> I mean, you know, I'm almost 80 years old and here I am, you know, bench pressing like crazy. It's fun. It's keeping me in No, that is so important, especially for your bone health. So oh, everybody yeah, needs to be right, doing that. Right. Absolutely. No, I'm hoping I do Pilates and weightlifting because I do have osteoporosis, you know. Um, you know, I'm old. It happens. <laughs> <laughs> is there anything else you would like to share with our audience before we go? I think the only, the last thing I would say is two things, actually. Again, if you do buy the book, don't forget the resource section in the back. So many people just finish the last page and then close the book. Keep turning because that resource section is very important. And secondly, again, take charge of your health. Be empowered. Know it's your body and you want to make sure that you're doing the right thing for it and with it. And I know on your book, you have five free health tips. Yes. That's I mean, on, on your website. website. Yes, mm -hmm. on the website. So everybody should also go and get that as well. Absolutely. It's free and help yourself. There's going to be in a, in a week or maybe if it's up, I don't think it's up yet, but there's going to be some on, uh, tips on stress, how to handle your stress. That's coming next and it's going to be out shortly. So check my website. Again, that was Susan Salinger, E-N-G-E-R.com. 
All right. I'm going to put all of that in the show notes. And Susan, thank you so much for being on today. Thank you. I really enjoyed talking with you. It was, you're full of knowledge yourself. It was really fun. Thanks, Kat, very much. Thank you. I had an episode a while back with Dr. Mona Fahum of Feminescence, and we spoke about Feminescence, Maca Harmony, and their Maca products. And if you're a woman who's ever had hormonal imbalances, if you're trying to come off the birth control pill, or even if you're going through menopause, this is a natural way to help ease that transition and to help balance your hormones. There's nothing quite like it, so go to feminescence.com, enter code CAT15, K-A-T-1-5, for 15% off any of their single pack products, and definitely go check out the episode. Just search for Mona Fahum on my podcast, and listen, you won't regret it. Thank you for listening to the episode. If you made it this far, I'm sure you found some benefit to the hard work that I put into the show. Show your support by subscribing to the podcast. Leave me a voicemail question or email me at thehealthfulgypsy at gmail.com. I would love, love, love to hear from you. Be sure to join the Facebook group. You can find all that information in the show notes and my website, katkatibi.com. This podcast is for informational merrymakings and metaphysical purposes only. Statements and views are not medical advice. This podcast, including Kakatibi, disclaim any adverse effects by the use of information you may have heard. Opinions of guests are totally their own. This podcast does not endorse statements made by guests. This podcast does not make any representations or warranties about guest qualifications, credibilities, or sanity. Individuals may have a direct or indirect financial interest in products or services referred to on the podcast. If you think you have a medical problem, consult with a licensed medical physician, not just the spirit of your ancestors while on ayahuasca.